say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello and welcome to Verum Fabula Fellowship Podcast. I'm Wes Mullins. And I'm Randy Hardman, and we will be your hosts today. It is our goal to bring you content that cultivates and enriches your daily interactions and encourages the refinement of character and intellect. The terrain we cover ranges from literature to philosophy to theology. It is our hope that through these lenses we can offer insight to the human experience and the human condition that is empowering and transformative. Verum Fabula Fellowship is located in the beautiful town of Wilmore, Kentucky, and the podcast takes place at Drinkling's Roastery on Main Street. This is also where the fellowship meets regularly and where members are encouraged to present new thoughts and ideas, engage with interesting and important topics in discussion seminars, and interact with and listen to keynote speakers invited in to challenge us intellectually and spiritually. It is a true intellectual collective. Please rate this podcast on iTunes, and if we've said things that are helpful, be sure to tell your Lewis and Tolkien friends about us. With no more ado, here we go. Further up and further in. Hello and welcome to Verum Fabula Fellowship Review. This is the Jack and Baron Show. I'm Wes Mullins. And I'm Randy Hardman. Today we're going to be discussing something that is meaty, in-depth, rich. Uh, and for Randy, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's what he loves. <laughs> I'm a Tolkien guy. He's a Tolkien guy, so it's right up his alley. So why don't you go ahead and open it up for us. Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, there's this little obscure book that we kind of pulled from. I only ran across it a few years ago. Uh, Tales from the Perilous Realm. Love the uh, title. Yeah, it's just a great It's a great title. I think that's one of those things with, with Tolkien. Tolkien. Um, so many people kind of don't realize that there's, there's just a treasure trove of other stuff beyond his... You know, his Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and a lot of it's just like, you know, those were the ones that were published. But he has a whole lot of other things that have just, you know, even really come out just within the past couple of years. Um, and I think, uh, like this, one of the stories in here is called Reverandum. It was finally published in 1998. We got Leaf by Niggle, of course, mm. that we did. Um, but he's got this little essay in the back, uh, which is called On Fairy Stories. And... We kind of just threw that out there to the group about the possibility of just spending some time, you know, after doing just such deep theology for a while. You know, yeah. we, we spent some time with man's search for meaning and, and uh, you know, just some other stuff and, and to, to kind of just foray into something like fairy tales, right, and folklore can kind of just be a little bit of a breath of fresh air um, as far as I'm concerned. But we started this off with looking, of course, at like the master of folklore and fairy tales, Tolkien. Kind of read more of an intellectual essay on that. I I don't think that any of us really knew what to expect. Um, 
because we put oftentimes Lewis and Tolkien kind of in the same camp, yeah. and there's so many different themes, but this was a hard essay. Um, it was really good, but it's one of those where I'm like, I have now read this, and I'm going to want to reread this. Yes. Because every page, I mean, you can see... They can't see, but you can see, you know, every page has, like, multiple underlinings, things on the sides. Yeah. It's just, like... It's one that I will buy the book and I will annotate like crazy. You want to go back to, because there's so much more than just a story, an essay on fairy tales. Yeah, and now, when I think this this is good because we're setting the groundwork, and we have been for a while, we're setting the groundwork for, um our imaginations to be expanded beyond what they were. And we've brought in different types of reasoning. So we're creating the atmospheres um, and we're expanding our consciousness in a sense. It's kind of what we've been doing, expanding our theology so that when we're presented with these new stories, we don't automatically shut them down. Uh, Because some people will read like The Great Divorce and they'll be like, no, this is this is heretical, and they shut it down before they even get a chance to wrestle with it. The, the questions Lewis is bringing up. They shut it down on theological grounds, or like the shack, or the shack, <laughs> yes, which I refused to read for decades because I thought it was heresy. Yep. Uh, until Nina read it, and much to her credit, uh, all to her credit, she she says you have to read this. Yeah, we we talk about things like this, and I, I read it one day. I sat yep. down and read the whole thing, and I was like. Why was I so stupid yep. that I didn't allow myself the opportunity to wrestle with these things like this? And so we've set up the, we've expanded the imagination, we've expanded the theology, we've expanded reason, and now we're going to get into fairy tales. Right. And I think it's going to be uh, amazing because we have so much to learn from well, myth. Listen, man, like I came from that, I come from that perspective where I am a hardline non-fiction reader you know if it is not non-fiction if it is fiction it is pretty much Tolkien you know maybe a little bit of Lewis but outside of that you know there's nothing really else that's kind of satisfied me and I think that's always troubled me in a certain way because I've never really been able to like explain why other than like probably at a very gut level I think that fiction is useless Mm. You know, oh, nonfiction. You cut me to the core. Has ideas and <laughs> it has thoughts, and you can engage with it, and you can do something with it. It's like a tool, right? And then fiction just seems like I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, if you want to be entertained, but go, go watch the movie, get it done to two and a half hours, you know, and and get along your way and read something that's useful. And I think that's where, as I've kind of decided to spend the next two or three years, just really saying. I want to read the good books. You know, I keep coming back to, like, what are the things that formed Lewis? What are the things that formed right. Tolkien? And, I mean, these are masters of nonfiction kind of stuff. I mean, you're going to see all sorts of stuff all throughout their work that's, you know, Tolkien was a philologist, you know. Lewis was a, a literature scholar, but he read theology. He read science, you know. He read all of these kind of things. Um I mean, even Tolkien was, like, quoting stuff from philosophers, you know, that he had obviously had engagement with and anthropologists and so forth. But one of the things that they have in common is that they read stories growing up. And that seems to have influenced not only their nonfiction work that they did and their academics and professional world, but it influenced their character and the things that we really appreciate about them. That's why Lewis... 
demanded a story from Tolkien about uh, this, lang- this new language, this elvish language he'd come up with. It has to have a story. Yeah. And Tolkien said, I basically wrote Lord of the Rings to shut him up because he wouldn't, he wouldn't lay off about a story. In which I think it's, it's interesting that you mentioned escapism. Because I have never, ever seen fiction as escapism. So Jordan Peterson says that fiction is actually more real than reality. Yeah. It's hyper-real. Because you can take a character and you can, you can weave several personalities into a character. And so when I'm, it's a composite character. And so when I'm watching a character, I can pick out and go, ooh, I resonate with that. I resonate with that. And in this uh, fantastic essay, which I couldn't remember my point the other, the other day when we were talking about it, but it's The Gods Return to Earth, J.R.R. Tolkien, The Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, and it's Lewis. He, he talks about this book is lightning from a clear sky, talking about Lord of the Rings. But he goes on to talk about escapism. And he says that... Um, well, I'll, I'll just let's see here. Where, where am I at? Um, he talks about that if you see a tree, if you see the, the white tree of Gondor, you see the Ents in the forest. When you see a tree in real life, it becomes more as as we read, we find ourselves sharing their burden, and when we have finished, we return to our own life, not relaxed, but fortified. I like that, man. Yeah. So he actually talks about escapism a lot in here. And, and I've never seen, I never go to a movie to escape. Right. I go to a movie to learn. I go to a movie, for me, I'm given this atmosphere that I can go into. It's kind of like modal logic. It's a possible world. And here are all the things that, the things that I want to wrestle with in my life. And they're giving me this alternate reality right. to say, if we apply these principles and we do these things, this will be the outcome. So I get to see it play out modalistically and go, what can I learn from that? Well, and that's it, is like recognizing that escape, you know, which is definitely a pejorative term. But, you know, Tolkien talks about escape, you know, fantasy and, and, and folklore and fairy tales is basically escape. And he says, you know, one of the problems with modernity is that we've kind of given this this pejorative, maybe yeah. he calls it treachery, you know, that yes. escape... We have this idea that escapism is treachery from the real world. He says, no, listen, like, when you actually have really good fairy tales, folklore, myths, all that kind of stuff, it's not that you're escaping from the real world. It's actually a matter of resistance to elements of the world that, that... you know, like honestly, need to be changed. But that you, you know, the, the, think about Lord of the Rings, right? And you think about how much of that? No, it wasn't an allegory. You know, the the orcs were not Nazi soldiers and stuff like that. But there was definitely this what he you know called the machine. You know, that was mm-hmm. at play there. There was industrialism that was at play there. There was this idea of like losing losing nature and losing language and losing just simplicity and becoming caught up in this industrialism and this consumerism and this like, you know, this progressivism kind of world. And he said, you know, what fantasy and folklore can do is you're escaping actually to something as a response to what is actually occurring on. So no, it's not you checking out. Yeah. It's, it's like music in a way, right? 
course, some people think, you know, probably not as many, but some people think that it, uh, music is escapist, right? And actually, I think most of your, you know, your hip-hop artists, your punk art, you know, like a lot of that kind of stuff is like, it's prophetically critical of what is happening. It's, politi- it's, it's prophetically reflective about what is happening in the world. It just does it in an artistic way. Yeah, which... So he just is like, escape actually is a good thing, you know. And I think we, some people do use literature and movies wrongly. They're like, oh, I can watch it. I can check out and watch this movie and, and check out. And to me, they're, they're wasting. Um, or, or they're like, oh, I've already figured the movie out. Yeah. And they're like, this, this is going to happen, so... Uh, and they spend their time trying to figure the movie out. They're trying to figure the play out instead of allowing the author or allowing the characters to take them on a journey. And so I check out, in a sense, and escape into a movie going, okay, author, where do you want to take me? I'll go where you want to take me. Let, let's, you know, show me the path. Right. Um, whereas some people are like, they're trying to guess the whole time. And I'm like, no, no, the author has a reason why you're going down this road and why you're doing this. Um, and there's totally a difference between like being aware as you are engaging with something, yes, and being you know vegging out on something. So I mean, even when you look at Lewis Tolkien and those kind of folks, like they saw, you know, I mean, you want to go ask like Tolkien what he thought of you know Snow White and the Seven Dwarves? <laughs> right. He thought it was a complete crap shoot, you know, and. Basically, it was like, this is reduced now to... I mean, they take this awesome fairy tale and they reduce it now just to pure entertainment, you know, down to the very yes. bare bone where it just doesn't mean anything, you know? And so he's not saying, like, hey, all art forms, whatever you can escape into, escapism is unilaterally good. Exactly. He's saying that if it is serving a positive utility function mm-hmm. as a reflection in our culture, reflection of our society, reflection of ourselves really that it has that moral element then escapism actually really can be good it can yeah no, I, I absolutely agree and I'm, I'm thinking uh, like one of my favorite movies uh, on a topic like this is Stranger Than Fiction Will Ferrell Emma, yeah, Emma Thompson it I, I, every time I watch it I, I'm left just perplexed and pondering I think that movie hits on a chord that uh, is, is, as an author, you're writing this character, and then you meet the character in real life, and then you decide the fate of that character once you've met them. Yeah. The responsibility the author has to create something and to be responsible with the resources in the world that he's created or she's created, that's not a light thing. Nope. Um, Dickens used to cry every time one of his characters died. He would he would be depressed for days after one of his characters died. He because he brought this thing into life, and that's yeah. that's an echo to me of, of, of creation. And you're going through, and this, you're you're the logos is speaking this world into existence, and you have these people, and how you treat them. I think I think there's almost a moral responsibility in how you treat the characters that you've created, and. It, because people are going to be looking to this to escape into this world, and they're looking for you to be an honest narrator. They're looking for you to create a world that actually can help them make sense and find meaning in the real world. They can they can uh, attribute those things, and so there's a responsibility to to writing myth and and fiction that's uh, overlooked. So let me let me ask you a question: 
because I even think Tolkien and Lewis had to at least at some point just kind of like you know I said veg out right 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 we all reach our limits of just being Mm -hmm. able to like consciously think about it do you do you have something that you're like you just sit down you kind of watch brainlessly oh absolutely read brainlessly there there are definitely things like that one of the things that we watch is elementary okay Uh, I haven't seen that uh, it's Johnny Lee Miller so yes there are things that I sit down um, and veg out on but what ha- what usually I, I love The Simpsons so <laughs> which, oh man which has got smart humor in it but it is still enough that I'm like yeah you know what we all we all have our little uh, yeah our little things here and there and know? so well, even while I'm vegging out sometimes my mind will go to some sort of philosophical issue that happens I'm like oh right now Nina's uh, binging uh, Downton Abbey Oh, and Julian Fellows is just an incredible writer. He is fa- he is undervalued as someone who can take a show about Victorian England where nothing like serious. I mean, I say that there are some big serious things that happen, but to take a house and create the mundane and give it tension that holds you was yeah. just impressive. What he can do as a writer, uh, and I just think about. Um, how he makes you wrestle with moral quandaries. Yeah, and it's and you're trying to veg out on it. You like the show, but then I find myself sliding away and going. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Huh, what would I do in that situation? Well, that's one of those things is if you can find a show that allows you to kind of rest and... And escape in a in a positive utility yeah. way at the same time. I think those I think those are the shows that honestly like last for decades. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I think of The Office, right? And the Office. I think The Office is number one. It's it's satire on our world, so it is a <laughs> it is a reflection. It right, also right. allows us to kind of get out some of that like vocational angst because mm-hmm. we all see our own like bosses and our colleagues and our relationships and that kind of thing. But at the same time, it also allows you to just rest through that, you know? And I think those are, those are honestly the best kind of shows. And I think that's what, you know, when we're reading stuff like, uh, uh, like, like Lord of the Rings, right? So many of it, I mean, it's hard work, but it is also restful, you know, at the same time. And Hmm. there's a, there's a ton of books out there. You know, I just started, uh, Victor Hugo, Les Miserables, right? Wow. And okay. I'm, I'm a little bit daunted by it. Uh, I think I'll get through it, but I don't think I'm going to get the kind of rest that I that I get with Tolkien. I'm not I'm not sure that I've ever actually ever met anywhere that said they got rest from reading Les Miserables or <laughs> Dostoevsky or something like that. There's yeah. not the there's not the enjoyment that's there, and I think that's the beauty of 
certain things as Narnia, you know, it's just like you, you and fairy tales, you know, that they're enjoyable. Well, I think they hit on yet. certain elements that are necessary for the rest. So my, what, what I think constitutes uh, a book that has longevity is what I talk about all the time is they have that synthesis of imagination and reason. They ignite your imagination enough to yep. pull you in. And then it's reasonable enough for you to trust the narrator. And so that rest part you're talking about, if someone presents something and you don't trust the narrator, you spend the entire show not restful. Either one, you don't understand the narrator, the writer, or you're in contradiction with the narrator the whole time. Yeah. Going, this is not right. So that's not a very restful read. But if you can synthesize and create an imaginative world enough where people are like going, I'm drawn in. There's a call to adventure. There's this. And your heart is soaring. And then they ground that enough with enough reason for you to go, okay, I trust you. Where are we going? You suspend your disbelief in that. And then if it can show you three areas of prescriptive knowledge, which is how the world should be. Right. Descriptive knowledge, how the world actually is, and then predictive knowledge, how the world can be or, or might be. Right. And it can put all those things together. Uh, Jordan Peterson says the reason why we have the great authors is because that's the best of us. That's the best the best of us can produce. Right. And I and I like that phrase because I think when you see a Tolkien, he literally is the best fantasy writer in the history of, of the world. Um, and you, you look at that and you, well, say, take Doyle, the greatest mystery writer, uh, uh, created an entire genre out of nothing. And Tolkien did the same thing. He's, he just creates this entire genre. And when you read it, he hits on all those levels. And no matter where you are, you can find yourself in, in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Dostoevsky, I don't know that you can. I don't know that Anna Karenina, I don't know if you can find yourself in those stories. Jude the Obscure the most depressing book I've ever read in my life. I hated every minute of it. Um, and it just ripped my heart out as I read this. You know, and I was just going, I don't want to read stuff like this because it wasn't restful. It was just, it was work. It's work. Yeah. Work. And that's okay at certain <clears throat> points. I mean, The Shack, you know, same kind of thing. I mean, nobody, you shouldn't love The Shack, you know. You, I mean, you love The Shack, but you shouldn't love The Shack. Diary of Anne Frank, you know, you shouldn't love that, but you, you know, but you do at the same time because of what it can give. And I don't know, I mean, it's just, again, it's just to show like this whole pursuit that we're kind of trying to do with, with this society is really just to expose, to broaden out what it is that we are really considering as good literature, you know? Yeah. And I think just fantasy has gotten this bad rap. Um, and I don't know how much of that is related to, Disney and, and, you know, some of these places that kind of reduce it down, but, you know... Well, I mean, they sterilized it. Tolkien himself said, you know, fantasy is a rational, not irrational activity. And Damn he's really shit. just flipped that on his head, and it allows us in a modern world which values science and math and business and economics to just really take that stuff and throw that in the camp of art and music and playwriting and you know all this kind of stuff that's like yeah I mean even philosophy like yeah that's kind of nice but we don't really have room for creativity anymore unless mm -hmm. it has some sort of economic impact and I think that's I mean that's a big critique of 
most of your good fantasy stuff is... Well, a lot of it is, is written like Game of Thrones. Now, I'm going to be honest, I have not read a lot of Game of Thrones um, or any Terry Pritchard or any of those fantasy writers. But from the critique that I hear about them is it's they borrow from Tolkien. Oh, yeah. But they miss the heart. They miss the essence of what Tolkien was getting at. And that, that's been my... That's what I've heard from, and I don't know. You can maybe speak to that. And I and I see people writing fairy tales and fictions, and it it is this sanitized version of. I don't even want to say truth. It's 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 a. So if you get too much imagination, where he's like, it's not. If you get too much irrationality, well, as a human, I can't relate to it. I might find it fun or might find it, like Oscar Wilde says, art for art's sake. Well, that, that's good if the rest of the art world around you is, is, is reasonable. Yeah. But if all art is art for art's sake, it loses the purpose and meaning of having art. Yeah. And so if I write a, a mythical story because I want to have dragons and swords and stuff like that, but there's no purpose for it and it's just all imagination um, and there's, you know, it's... Or you go the other side of it, and it's all formulaic. It's abstract formula, like it's looking at the matrix all the time. Well, I can't relate to that either. And both of those are sterile because they, they can't procreate. They can't create anything inside of me. I think it was Sir Roger Scrunton that said that basically literature is the, the blowing of the, the embers inside of you and trying to stoke them into a flame is what good literature is supposed to do. Yeah. And I like that. It's... And I, I even with a two year old man, like I sit yeah. here reading books and I can tell the books that I like to read to him and the books that I do not like to read to him. And the ones that I do not like to read are the ones that are just about, you know, trucks and balls and you <laughs> right. know or even these fantasy ish kind of stories, but you know, it's like baby's day out, you know, kind of stories and it's like, uh, come on. You know, but like I sat down today before a nap and read uh, I love you stinky face, right? And I'm like <laughs> Versus mama, mama. So I'm like data, data. But that's such. I mean, it's it's just as simple, but yet it is a completely different kind of children's yeah. book. And I'm like, even for me, it has nothing to do with the simplicity of that. Not as it's not any more complex in the writing or yeah. the pictures or anything like that. But it is far more complex in what it is after to do, right? And I think I think most of us just recognize that. I mean, it's why most of us can only really take so much, you know, just pop culture crap and, you know, television. You know, Seinfeld was its own kind of thing, but even that was a little bit of a reflection on culture. And we can't, we, we stand for deeper things. We want deeper things. And yeah, because if you don't have anything deeper, what, what, what will help you find meaning? And... What we found in, in, a, in a hyper, so we, we had pre-modern classics, and you have these great works, Dante's Inferno, Paradise Lost, The Fairy Queen, uh, uh, you had uh, Gotha with, uh, and uh, Dr. Faustus, Dr. Faustus, and you, Lord Byron, you had all this just deep literature that makes you wrestle with the characters and you have Lewis and Tolkien and and then you get this modern literature that comes out uh, William Forrester and you get some of his stuff and the postmodern stuff that comes out 
and I found myself even as as a as an undergrad in, in literature class, I I could not. I had a hard time reading the postmodern literature because it it seemed soulless and 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 empty and sterile, yeah. uh, like a like a whited room, and you're like, oh, but look, here's this, there's this metaphor, here's this, and I'm like, but w- what purpose? Like they have this this great thing that happens, and then everything's taken away, and at the end, everybody dies. And you're like, wait, what was what was it for? What was what was the purpose? I don't, I didn't, I missed the purpose. Like, oh, there is no purpose. And you're like, Whoa. well, I will <laughs> say, a guilty pleasure is I, I do love Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> Even though it lands on the purpose of life is what is it forty two or something like that? Yeah, you know, forty two. That's the purpose of life. I'm just like yeah, but yeah, but even there again, like honestly, that stuff is still stuff to wrestle with. It's mm-hmm. just a question of whether it's inviting you to, or if it's just trying to tell you, you know, and and or just leave you without much reflection on that. And so, and sometimes authors don't realize that they're even instinctually wrestling with good stuff. But then, in an, in an, in a, a need to be witty or smart or undid all of their work that they were doing previously. Oh well, I mean, think about that. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The reason why I like it is because it's so random that it's humorous, and so I think in a way it is not conveying no. Forty two is not necessarily the the reason for the universe. It is like enjoyment humor mm-hmm. you know all these things it's it is in some sense conveying that there are important things beyond just nothingness that's there and so and it's all like there's, there's just there's little bits and pieces and devils in the details and stuff like that but i think the big thing that i'm just pulling from all of this is number one we should appreciate what fantasy and what what fairy stories and told you know I just actually bought two of them just online because I thought you know what like George MacDonald I've never read a whole lot of his stuff before but obviously he was so influential as a fairy as a fairy uh, or a folklorist yes fairy story writer story writer that I want to pass along whatever it is that he's saying that these guys picked up pass that into my kids right yeah. and take that in on myself as an adult um, fantasties yeah, that, that I'm. I've started reading it uh, and haven't finished it yet. But it's uh, it was an interesting read. Now he lost me in the beginning uh, because there was no transition. You don't realize he goes right into fairies. Yeah, like fairies, not just like the the, the fairy atmosphere, but it's it has the fairy atmosphere. But he goes right in. And I, I, I wasn't ex- I wasn't expecting it. I was Tinkerbell world. Yeah, I was expecting it to go from sort of like a, a Lewisian thing, where it's like, oh, there's a wardrobe, and it was basically kind of like that. But it, then suddenly, like, oh, okay, we're just we're just going to go with this now. Here we go. Okay. Um, but yeah, so when Lewis read that, he said his baptized his imagination was baptized. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's important because we. We can apply these things so much um, to our life, and I think we do in a way that we're not. Um, I think that was Lewis's. That was his critique in *Abolition of Man*: was be careful how you learn, be careful what you let influence you, because that's going to come out. And if you, if you, your theology, if you infuse it with good fairy and good myth, your theology is going to be better. 
yeah. Uh, and he's because he said, you know, what, what do you say when they're like, uh, he thought England was going to come pagan again. He's like, oh, it'd be great. Let's let's make them good pagans before we make them good Christians. Yep. And you're like, whoa. Uh, but there's something to the uh, theology poetry. Uh, theology's poetry, the essay, where he talks about. Uh, the poetic forms of theology and how we come about the beauty of theology and why we believe it. It's not poetry because it's poetic. It's poetry because it's beautiful and we, we believe it and we love it. And so, therefore, we relish it as poetry. Yeah. And I think all these things just make us better as humans. I think it helps human flourishing that I can read Lord of the Rings and go, even the tiniest tiniest insignificant people can have the greatest impact on the world and that's one little lesson you can learn from it yeah and you and that right there can stick with you as a child all throughout your life going you you can see frodo as as a, as a person to emulate or aragon or any of the characters you can look and see their qualities and know they did great exploits and that encourages you i can do great exploits because i saw their flaws they all had flaws but they went on to do this and so um, we can draw from from fiction. Uh, that's the beauty of art, man. Is it has no levels of of accomplishment. You know, that's truly there. I mean, we revere certain things, but you know, how many Van Goghs are are truly out there that just never get discovered? You know, I'm a big Pink Floyd fan, and I mean, you should watch their light show, shows and thousands upon thousands of people that gather to these things, and yet. Sometimes it's the gypsy playing the, uh, you know, a freaking banjo in the back of a dumpster room that manages to inspire you just as much or even far more than what they're able to do, and and that's the way that these things should should work. I mean, yeah, that's the way that art should work. And fantasy for being, you know, what Tolkien Tolkien says is the greatest art, the most supreme level of art. You know, it doesn't matter the size of the story, the popularity of the story. Um, you know, it's, it, it matters what it does, what it can accomplish yeah. for you. And so, awesome. That's my thoughts, man. So. Yeah, I think that's um, some good stuff. So, I think maybe you and I could continue uh, reading Tolkien if you want, and we'll get, get a little more because we're going to be reading on stories by why we are made to do this. He can really connects very much with Lewis's own. In fact, he quotes Lewis in this, but why we are made to actually make these things. And so it's a very myth becomes fact kind of thing that he yeah. pulls out there. So so I think we've got a good, uh, a good way to go. This is something that I'm so uh, on to as, as trying to cultivate a, my own literary theory of how I see literature, what kind of literature that I want to produce. And this is just right, right up the alley of what I want to do. So... All right, nerd out on some fairy stories, man. Absolutely. That sounds fantastic. So that's all we have for today. Uh, this is Wes Mullins from Drinklings Roastery and Cafe in Wilmore, Kentucky. Such a good one, Jack.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.